listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You know, so this morning we're going to answer this final question, and but it is going to push back against a mentality that Everyone in here suffers from. Everyone in here has. And we see this mentality at Christmas time more than probably any other time of year. And it's this consumer mentality. And this consumer mentality, we see it in all kinds of things. In Christmas, it's built into this thing of it's all about, man, what do I want? We've created this character and, man, we go and we tell them everything we want. And we set up our expectations of, will I get what I want for Christmas? Or as adults, we have all these expectations around getting family together and we create this level of whatever we desire and it all becomes about us. You go to a restaurant. My goodness, we can go and there's a menu for us and I can pick what I want, but I don't want that. Will you add this and substitute this for that? And it it creates this thing that this is really all about me. You can go pick a vehicle out. Well, I want this interior, and I want this feature, but I don't want that one. It creates this mentality that all of this is for me, that I become the most important person in whatever is happening. And then we even see this creeping into our Christian faith. We see it in uh, something that stands now completely opposite of what Paul is going to say this morning. Because can you imagine churches finally filled with people that would say, I am here, I'm committed to this place, I'm committed to this group of people, and church is not about me. Because we can take that consumer mentality and say, well, I come and, you know, I like this, but could they do this instead? And, and we create this mindset that, man, it really becomes all about me. Imagine a church filled with people that would say, but it's not about me. I, I saw this Christmas Eve. If you were part of our Christmas Eve service, man, it was great to see. I know my mic wasn't working. There's nothing I could do about it. But uh, to see this room filled with people from now all five campuses of Bethel. But there were people there that came with a mindset that said, hey, this is not about me. Man, it was great to sit with my family and get to sing some Christmas carols and hear God's word open. But there were people that many of us didn't see that were there But it wasn't about them. And a lot of these were our safety team people. So it's led by our team, Jeff Brown. I know Sarah Freeman was a part of that, Mark Foley, that there were about 12 to 15 people, not inside with their families, but standing outside, just making sure everybody was greedy, making sure everybody was safe in that environment. A group of people saying, this is not about me. Because often we think about Christmas from our perspective. But this morning, I want us to see something very different because we've been looking at Christmas from a different perspective. We saw why the baby came and who was this baby. And we lit candles each and every week. And if you gathered around your family, the very last candle was the Christ candle. And so this morning, as that burns, I want us to answer this question, or we'll see it answered from Paul. The Christmas not being about what I want, but have we stopped to think about What does Jesus want for you? What does he want for you? Have you ever stopped to think about what does Jesus want for me? Not what I want, but what does he want for me? And we're going to see four things this morning 
about what Jesus wants for you. So look at Colossians chapter 1, back in verse 21, and let's walk through this. It says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Paul is painting this reality that everyone, Really, even from birth, we come into this world alienated from God. It says that we are enemies, that we come into this world hostile in our minds to who God is and what God wants. So we're alienated and we're hostile. And then it says, and because of this, we do evil deeds. And so it's not necessarily the evil deeds that make us have this need for a Savior. It begins with who we are on the inside. It's an internal problem. We come into this world hostile, and that makes us alienated. Therefore, we do evil deeds. But Jesus has something else in mind. He says, but that's not how things have to end. That He came that we would be reconciled through His body of the flesh by His death. And you see what He hopes? He wants to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Don't you know that is going to be an incredible scene one day to be standing before the Lord Almighty. I believe Satan will be there and he will be casting all kinds of accusations of why you and me should not be allowed to spend eternity with an all-knowing, all-loving, all-merciful God. And he is not going to be wrong. He is going to have all kinds of reasons on why we should not allow to end. And every one of those will fall on deaf ears because he will present us holy and blameless and above reproach. So Adam mentioned it. Really, the first thing I believe Jesus wants above all else for anyone is he wants us to receive his pardon. That's his desire for you. And hopefully that is something that you have experienced that one day you will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach. That Jesus wants you to receive his pardon. He wants you to be reconciled. But then there's a second thing. Look in verse 23. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from hope of the gospel that you heard. So he's saying the most important thing is not that you once believed back when you were six or seven or eight years old. It's that do you believe in him today. That it's this continual belief that happens. And then he goes on to say, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body That is the church. And so Paul says an interesting phrase here. He says that Paul, first of all, rejoices in his suffering. Now, that's a hard thing to do. There have been times in my life that I've gone through trials. I've gone through sufferings. And man, I look back and I go, I don't know if I was rejoicing in that. But you see what he was rejoicing in? It really wasn't the suffering. Nobody goes looking for trials. No one goes looking for suffering. But in that, he saw a greater purpose. He says, in my sufferings 
for your sake. Paul says, this isn't about me anymore. It once was, but no longer. But then he says this phrase, it's kind of interesting. He says, through all this, through my sufferings, through my trials, for your sake, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. There's been a lot of debate over what Paul is meaning by this. And so I want to kind of make sure we understand, because first of all, he is not saying that what Christ did is not enough, that, that there was this lacking, that what he did was not sufficient, that it, it needs to be added to. He's not saying Christ's suffering on the cross lacked or was insufficient in any shape, form, or fashion. Because that would go against the entire central message of this letter, and especially Romans. So here's what we have to do. We have to remember that context matters. We have to know what is going on. How did the original audience, how would they have seen this? So you have this church in Colossae. Remember they were started by this guy that goes and hears Paul named Epaphras. And he goes back and he tells his family and they become believers. He tells his neighbors and they become believers. And before long, there's a body of, of believers gathered together. And this man that was not planning for this, didn't set out to do this, he is now pastoring and leading and shepherding a church. Not something he was even trained for. So Paul is writing to help them understand something that is going on, even in their midst and even something in their future. Because when he says, I'm filling up what is lacking on, on Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. So this expression of Christ's afflictions, it first of all has to be understood from an Old Testament mindset. Because remember, Paul's speaking to really three different groups. He has those that have now become believers, that understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He has a group that has risen up that are trying to draw people back to the law and say, that is not sufficient. You must also have to now obey all of these things. But then he has a group of people that are believing in this kind of secret wisdom, this secret knowledge that you must have in order to be enlightened. So you go back to the Old Testament, and what you see of this thing of being afflictions, it comes from a Jewish background with this notion of afflictions of the end times. Because when the Messiah was prophesied, there was a phrase that would often be talked about, talked about the birth pains. There were the early tremors of things that would be happening before Christ could, could come for the very first advent. And so he talks about these birth pains, these, these afflictions that must have to happen before the arrival of God's anointed ruler, the Messiah. Well, then in the New Testament, there's also this idea of things needing to happen in between the first and second coming of Jesus. So the exalted Christ, he's now in heaven and before his return, he says that he suffers in his members. And these afflictions, even though they're going to be limited in a lot of ways by God, he's talking about there's almost this quota that must be filled in order for Christ to return. There are things that need to happen that God is orchestrating before He will send Jesus back. So this lacking, it's pointing to the future sufferings of all those who will experience afflictions for the sake of the gospel. There were sufferings, birth pains that had to happen in order for Christ, for Him to come back. 
So Paul's life, Paul's sufferings, they had a meaning and a purpose far beyond anything he could imagine. Because he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about what happens when suffering happens in the lives of believers. So Paul has now come to realize something. When there are going to be trials, there's going to be sufferings that I am going to need to endure for the sake of the gospel. And the only way I can do this is to rejoice in that God is doing something far more purposeful, far more valuable than I can even understand because I'm limited by what I can see. But the same is true for Paul that is also true for you and I today, that Jesus wants your life to matter. And if you're like me, you can often feel insignificant and, man, I'm doing this life, but I'm not really sure how much of an impact I'm making But Jesus wants your life to matter. So not only does he want you to receive his pardon, he wants you to know, he wants the desire for you is to understand that your life matters. It matters to him and he has purpose in you being born and you living and even in the sufferings and trials that you will go through and even in your death. But there's a third thing that Jesus desires. It's in verse, it begins in verse 25. So these sufferings, the, these things that I'm going through for the sake of the body of the church, which I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God. God has given him a purpose that he's given to me for you. Once again, Paul says, this is not about me anymore. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in Christ for you, the hope of glory. And so once again, Paul uses that word hope. And Paul says, I have been Given, I've become a steward of this message. And Paul is taking this message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Once it was hidden, it's now being revealed. And he says, Jesus is the only hope for glory. And if you can remember back just a few weeks ago, hope is not this kind of wishful thinking. But it's this inner peace, this certainty that what God has promised, God will create. God will bring to place. So what Jesus wants is for you to know this hope and He wants you to be 100% certain of heaven. He wants to remove all doubt. He wants you to have a hope. A hope that this world cannot touch because you remember where it is stored? It's stored and it waits for you in heaven. Because first of all, that's where Christ is. He is our hope. And the second thing is because that is how protected it is. But there's the last thing that Jesus wants for you, that he desires for you. The last two verses. Him, speaking of Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Notice that. Paul doesn't say, this isn't about me. I cannot do this on my own. It's his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
So not only does Jesus want you to know and receive his pardon, not only does he want you to know your life matters, whether you realize it or not. He wants you to be certain of heaven. And he wants you to be spiritually mature. These are the things that Jesus hopes, the presence he hopes that you open. This is Jesus' desire for you. This is what he wants for you and me. So have you received his pardon? And do you realize that your life matters? First of all, it matters to him because he created you. If it didn't matter, you've never even been created. He created you for a specific time, in a certain place, for a certain purpose, that your life matters. He wants you to be certain of your place in heaven, and he wants you to be spiritually mature. And so now I want to end with this one last question. So we're at the end of 19, we're headed into 20, and I want you to know this about me. is uh, My family knows, and the elders know, but this is, coming into January, is the hardest time of year for me. It's always difficult. And I, it's a lot of different reasons. One reason is I look back and I see all the things I didn't get done, or I needed to do, or whatever it might be. I've come off all the holidays and everything, and Around Christmas, there's always this letdown. Um, we, I set these expectations, and, and for some reason, that's really just because of my mindset, because I'm still struggling in the flesh, there's always a letdown. Because I believe, that we talked about Christmas Eve, that it shows there's really a longing for something else. But it's also, it always feels like I'm at the bottom of a mountain. And there's all these things I know I need to get done, I know I need to accomplish, and, and all. And so January is just a very... Difficult time. But I want to begin looking at it from a different mindset. I'm going to try to look at things, not as a mountain that I have to climb, but I want to look at things like a new slate. Because I want to stop and ask a question. And it begins with, I see now what Jesus wants for me. But here's the question to stop and to ask this next week for the next few weeks to come is, what does Jesus want from me this year? I know what he wants for me, but what does he want from me? I want to see what he wants for me. And isn't that just very opposite of a consumer mindset? Now, I don't want to speak for Jesus, but I begin thinking about what would be some things that God might be wanting, that Jesus might be wanting from us as a church this year. For some of us, it really might be to make that next step and to really join and to commit to a group of people. And listen, it's not easy. You're going to get involved in some lives and it's messy and it's hard. And there's going to be times you want to quit. But that you would make this year of 2020 the year that I'm going to really commit to a group of people. I'm going to lock arms and I'm going to see where God leads us. For some, it might really be serving. And listen, it can be really scary. I never feel adequate to do this thing. There's people that are serving the children and all over this place in our community. But to do something that you don't feel equipped to do. To stop and say, okay, Jesus, what do you want from me? Maybe it's to be more generous with our time and our talents and our resources. Maybe instead of waiting to be included, and we are the ones that take the initiative. 
I'm going to try to do this this year. I'm going to take 52 families. I'm going to make a list this next week. I'm going to pray for one family a week. Try to send them a note just saying, man, I've been praying for you this week. 52 families. Maybe this is the year that Jesus is going to ask from you. Maybe there needs to be some family reconciliation somewhere. Maybe you've been wrestling with the decision to get involved in fostering or adoption care. And there's a thousand ways to do that. And don't we always say, I really need to get to know my neighbors? Maybe that's what Jesus is going to want from you. Maybe this is the year that you go on a mission trip. I think there's 12 mission trips through Bethel over this next year. We're going to take a trip to Seattle. We're going to take a trip to Spain. We're going to need to be forming a missions team from this campus. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's to be baptized. You've never followed the Lord in baptism. But here's what I want to end with. Would you be willing to say this? Would you be willing to say this over the next few days, the next few weeks? Jesus, I will do whatever you desire for me. No strings attached, no conditions, but would you be willing to pray that? Would you be willing to ask that? To sit down and to honestly say, Jesus, I will do whatever you desire for me. So maybe this is the year we would finally step out in faith and allow that to happen. And I will do whatever you desire for me this year. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.